At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. everybody, welcome to the TFL Classics Podcast. We've got a very fun episode for you today. We're talking about ketchup on runny eggs. Oh God, not again, Tommy, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, today we are talking about features in cars that are just no longer found that we want back. Yeah, that's right. So some old cars had some great things that manufacturers have gone away with for one reason or another. In some cases, some good reasons. In some cases, some terrible reasons. And we're going to talk about all of that in today's podcast. But we're going to do quite a bit of goofing around as well because we got some great questions. We're going to talk about Brendan's disaster with his Yukon. Oh, we're going to talk about my disaster with my classic Volkswagen and uh, a Fiat 500L that went up for auction. Yeah, I said, I, re- I said to everybody I would give them an update and... I have an update for you on the 500L. Now, I want to start off with the stranded Yukon. So a little backstory. Brendan was driving his early 2000 GMC Yukon XL 8.1 from Chicago to Denver, and it left you stranded in the middle of Iowa, Nebraska. Nebraska, and Grand Island specifically. That's right. Yeah. So basically, the transfer case or the, the chain inside of the transfer case decided to go, took out the transfer case with it, leaving me stranded in Grand Island, Nebraska. I actually bought a car to get myself home, and then that car blew a tire. <laughs> and we were just so defeated. We were like, oh, God, Nebraska's just keeps sucking us in, and we are stuck here for the evening. Um, but I did make it home the following day. But after two months of waiting, my Yukon is back. It is back here in Colorado. Uh, Andre actually helped me go get it with a Ford Ranger where we towed it all the way back. Now, what's interesting about this is when it broke down, you had it towed to like a local shop in the middle of Nebraska, and he gave you a quote. And what did he say it would cost to get it back on the road? He said it would cost $1,500 to replace the transfer case as well as the front differential. And I thought at the time... Holy cow, what a screaming deal. Yes, please do all of that. I couldn't believe it when you said I was like, what the heck is going on in Nebraska that, that makes the dollar so uh, so valuable <laughs> out there yeah. um, for it to be that cheap? But what actually ended up happening? Yeah, so I guess when he gave me the estimate, he actually said that he didn't realize it was a heavy-duty Suburban. Okay. He was estimating it on your standard you know, 5.3-liter Suburban. Um, 
and that's why the quote was so low. But then he didn't communicate with me that he made that error and then fixed it anyways and came back with a uh, final bill of $3,200, <laughs> more than double the original estimate to actually repair it. Now, here's where things get interesting, right? Because for 3200 bucks, he didn't fix the whole thing. He only fixed part of the things. Yeah, he only fixed the transfer case. Oh, no. And so when you go and drive it, it there's a pretty distinct hum coming from the front end that I don't know if it's the differential or if it's something else entirely. It's something I'm going to have to get looked at. So it's still somewhat broken. Now, were you able to talk this guy back down for 3200 bucks? Yeah, I reasoned with him a little bit, and I you know, I just said, hey, man, you got to communicate better. And he ended up coming down to 2400 which is what, wow, where well, we actually settled. That's pretty good. Which is basically his cost. So in fairness to him, he didn't make any money fixing my vehicle, but he got what he had into it back out of it. Jeez, dude. So you saved yourself $800 by talking to this guy. Yeah, just by being a shrewd negotiator. Yeah, I'm not that shrewd negotiator. <laughs> As I will, like, now, now I will demonstrate why. So the Volkswagen I bought. Yeah. Um, Which I, Volkswagen? The red one. Okay. So I've got a red 71 Super Beetle. Okay. Um, and I knew there was some Bondo in it, but it looked so clean and it was so shiny and so red. And I was taken in by the chrome wheels and the fantastic convertible. It was like May of last year. I was just stoked to have a convertible. So I paid like market value for a 71 Super Beetle convertible at the time, which I think was like 13 grand. And I was like, okay, well, it's not like the greatest car ever, but it, it looks good. It's got a great engine, good transmission, good brakes. It's going to be fine. Well, um, I, I went ahead and I, I put disc brakes on the front of it and I freshened up the interior. Now it was like it was a nice car. I just came back to it yesterday. So it's parked inside in a little shed okay. at the ranch, right? Yeah. But we got a lot of cold temps, right? We got to like um, negative, what, negative five a few weeks ago, negative I'm guessing, 10. guessing we had a little shrinkage going on? We had a little shrinkage of the Bondo, uh -oh. and now the paint is ruined. What? Yeah. Ruined? Yes, ruined. Like uh, throughout the whole car? So like on the driver's side door, the Bondo just fell out. Oh, my god! And there's like an eight-inch gap of just metal now. Oh, it's horrible. Jesus. I know. It's really, really bad. It looks god-awful. And in the rear quarter, same thing, where the trim meets, there's just, like, chunks of paint falling off of it now. Oh, so my gosh. So now my pretty little Volkswagen, it looks like it's it's been restored by a, a drug user, and it's just terrible. Here's here's my question. When you shop for this, did you bring a magnet? I did, you? and I, I knew it had Bondo. I, I made all the mistakes. Like, I knew I should have <laughs> walked away. But I've been shopping for one for so long, and I just got frustrated. And the guy was so nice and had such a good story behind it. But I, I knew that the Bondo was in there since the 80s because that's when the car was oh, actually man. restored. It was the early 1980s. Okay. And um, early 1980s, and, yeah, not done well. And I kind of figured it wasn't done well, but I just turned a blind eye to it. And now, like, the door has got big chunks of paint missing. The rear quarters started missing paint. That is a bummer, man. So, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm also bummed about it. But the only silver lining is... I knew the car was orange originally, and it's orange underneath the red crappy paint. Okay. So maybe maybe I'll, I'll either sand it down and repaint it or bring it to a shop. But the scary thing is, like, if there's a little bottom in the doors, I mean, what are, like, the important bits going to look like? Yeah. You know, like the quarter panels and the – are those just going to be no metal at all? You know what I think you should do? What? We just met a new – we have a new friend. I don't know if we want to reveal that friend yet. Uh -huh. But that just bought a vehicle of ours, of TFLs. That has a body shop. That's true. I think you should take it over to him and get his opinion on it. Maybe I will. Yeah, there, so there's a shop up in Longmont that just bought an old BMW of ours that uh, 
does some body work too. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's a can, good idea. Maybe we can get it up there to him and get it fixed up and maybe it'll be even better than when you bought it. Yeah. So anyways, that was my depressing story. Oh man. With the Volkswagen. I know. So I don't know what I'm going to do. How's your Volkswagen? Is it working? Uh, well, I'm afraid I just, <laughs> I don't like driving it in the winter. I, I'm wearing its shirt today to honor it, but, um, yeah, it's, so these old Volkswagens, the Beatles, they, the venting system on them, if you don't have, you know, an air conditioning option, which is pretty rare, right? it's basically just through the front of the car, there are holes that then feed into the cabin. Mm-hmm. And if you have an old enough one that's not maintained that well, like mine, um, it's just always venting into the cabin. So the little always. flaps don't close the hole. Yeah, no more. they don't. They don't really close. So <laughs> if you drive it in anything below like fifty degrees, you're just sitting in the car shivering, as if it's like you're riding a motorcycle. Really, you just got wind blowing at you the whole time. Did That's, you get? A, did you get a new clutch in it yet? Not yet. Oh, Brendan. I will before before the spring though. I will put a clutch in that. You're thing. You're gonna hold on to that thing, huh? I think so. Wow. I love it. Yeah, wow. it's a great. It's a great vehicle. So Brendan actually bought a new vehicle. So Brendan goes to this dealer's only auction, and um, you found something pretty cool that immediately broke on you. Yeah, I bought a um, an Audi A4 with the two-liter engine and Quattro and a six-speed manual with only about 125,000 miles on it. And it's really pretty blue color, and it looks really good. And I thought, this could be fun to toot around in for a little bit. And um, yeah, in typical Audi fashion, on the drive home from the auction, it misfired and went into limp mode oh my gosh. on me. So I couldn't take anything but the side roads to get all the way home. Oh, my gosh. So now it's just sitting in my backyard waiting until my mechanic is done with another broken vehicle <laughs> that I can then take up there to him. <laughs> so, Brendan came to me like a few weeks ago and was like, I really don't like Audis. I'm like, well, that's a, just a big generically bold statement. And he's like, I just <laughs> they, they don't I don't have good luck with them. And then you proved it again with this. What year is it? 06? 06. 06 Audi A4. Yeah. Tan interior? No, it's gray. Oh, that's an interesting spec. Yeah. Blue with gray interior. Blue with gray. So that's what I thought, too. And it's got the uh, the S wheels on it, too. So it looks pretty nice. And Is it a turbo? No. Oh, yeah. Well, the two-liter turbo. Right. Yeah. It's the, just the base the engine. The little engine, yeah. Yeah. Quattro, though. Yeah. Manual. Exactly. Did it drive pretty well until it stopped driving at it, all? It did, actually. It <laughs> drove great, honestly. So what's your mechanic fixing to... What, right what? now, he's finishing up my Explorer. So, what's he doing to it? Um, it's got a, a an additional coolant leak. <laughs> it's got the, pow- the clutch reservoir is leaking. Oh, yeah. Um, That's right, because you were having a hard time getting yeah. it into gear. And then the radio has this weird thing going where like different speakers will buzz at different times depending on what bumps you go over. <laughs> and it changes speakers every time that you go over a different bump. So I'm having him fix that. He's putting a door handle on since the passenger side door handle is broken. Good. And, That's a good choice. Yeah. And then then it should be a good driver car. Yeah. So it's really cool. It's a first-gen Explorer manual transmission. Yeah. Two-tone paint, baby. Oh, well, most of the clear coats faded, but the paint is still there mostly. It's actually three-tone now with the rocker rust. Yeah, there you, you know, go. You get a little bit of additional kind of interest in that. Yeah, a little bit of brown in there. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's a cool Explorer. I'm excited to see that back on the road. So we'll have a full update on that over at TFL Classics, the YouTube channel, yeah. if you want to check that out. But let's dive into a list of features we want to come back. And number 10, you put benchy seats, bench seats or comfy seats, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so it used to be where you could buy a sedan and have a bench seat in the front. 
you can still get trucks these days with bench seats in the front, but you can't get sedans anymore with a bench seat in the front. So like a Lincoln Town car, oh for example, God. you could get a bench seat in the front so you could seat three across in the front and three across in the back so you could fit six people in a two-door car. And not only that, they were super squishy and comfortable because they didn't have all the electronic gadgets and gizmos going on in there so they could make the uh, the padding on them a bit thicker and a bit softer and I just I miss that honestly. Brandon is back at it with the, the the Lincoln Town Car. If you are a fan of the podcast, you will know that in the previous episode we had a long in depth conversation about the Lincoln Town Car, and it has made a return in <laughs> this new episode. What is up with you and the town? What just buy a town car already? <laughs> I just haven't found a good one at the auctions yet. Um, that fits within my my number. I actually this week at the auction almost bought bought a Volvo S80, Ooh. which also has super comfortable seats and a Yamaha V8. Yeah, this one had the turbo six cylinder. Oh, okay, so it wasn't as cool. But yeah, I would love to get one with that Yamaha V8. That wow, would be pretty cool. So what, why didn't you buy it? Uh, well, I set my number at thirty four hundred dollars. Yeah. And I got into a bidding war with somebody, and they bought it at $3,500. Oh, no. Yeah. Was it like back and forth? Yeah, it was. It was back and We started at 1000 bucks, So there was, wow, there was a, lot a lot of back of and forth. Yeah, we did a lot of bidding to get up to that <laughs> that $3,500 that it eventually sold for. And with it starting at $1,000 and knowing my number was $3,400, i am like, ooh, I have a chance. You got this. I'm going to get this. Was it no. like $100 intermills? Yeah, but there was it started off with like five of us all bidding <laughs> against each other. And by the end it was down to me and one other guy and he was willing to spend a hundred bucks more than me, or maybe even more, I don't know. It's like a poor man's Meekum. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like instead of having like a beautiful fifty seven Chevy. The Volvo S eighty. Volvo S eighty. No, but but seriously, like you gotta get yourself a town car. But you're very particular about this. Brendan came to me. He's like, I don't want any town car. I want an extended wheelbase town car with over 300,000 miles. Or Yeah, yeah. That, what, a, what a request. Because then I can drive the wheels off of it. You could do not that. not worry with... about any depreciation whatsoever. Brendan, I think the town car is fully depreciated. <laughs> I think even an 09 or 010 town car is going to be pretty uh, pretty affordable. I don't know. There's Well, they're still going even at dealer auctions for like 5,000 bucks for a really nice one. Would you settle for like the Mercury? Maybe, maybe. It's the same car. I, I think this. For, I've sat in the Mercury. Uh, what do they call? Well, there's the Mercury Marauder, and there's the Mercury one. Grand Marquis. So I've sat in both the Marauder and the Grand Marquis and the Lincoln Town cars, and for some reason, maybe it's just in my head, the Lincoln Town car feels more comfortable. I, that's got to be in your head. Maybe they just give you a little, little half inch extra of that padding. <laughs> I mean, that could in be. There. You're you like, the, the fake wood is just a little bit more grainy yeah. in the Lincoln than exactly. on the Mercury. Exactly, yeah. But it's the same car, Brendan. It's got Underneath. the same four, six, yeah. rear-wheel drive. And... All right, that, that's interesting. Now, so bench seats, there are a lot of benefits to bench seats. Yes. Um, right? You can, you can have three abreast. You can do that thing that you always dream about in the movies where you have, like, your significant other next to you. Right. Um, but they don't hold you in very well. Well, you try taking a sporty turn with a bench seat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a sporty car with a bench seat, but a road trip car with a bench seat, or a car to go to like a drive-in movie with a bench seat. Heck yes. Well, what about like I, I'm kind of on board with like what the town car did, where it's like half bucket, half bench. 
Because yeah. the, the little bucket gives you a little bit of more support, right? Sure. The person in the bench in the middle screwed. But the, <laughs> yeah. the, the bucket people are, are a little bit more – the bucket people. Uh, you know what I mean? The, <laughs> the bucket seats. Yeah, yeah, the bucket seat no, people. I get it. Um, yeah, the bucket folks are a little bit more comfy. I like bench seats in certain vehicles. But sure. I've never been in like a modern-day 3 Series and be like, you know what make this better? A bench seat. One – well, you – so the 3 Series <laughs> is the sporty version. What you want the bench seat in is like – the 7 Series. Yeah, but not Or the really. Mercedes S-Class. I don't know if I'd want an S-Class with a bench seat. No? They're just ugly. They're just, <laughs> and you don't get as much adjustability, you know? Yeah, like, but if the seat is comfortable from the get-go, you don't need all that adjustability. Yeah. The reason why they give you so much adjustability now is they're just like, we cannot find a way to make this seat comfortable. So there's, we'll just give them infinite adjustability to think that they can make it more comfortable. Like the, um, have you seen the new Lincolns and that have like 31 way seats or 64 way seats or something where like you I can have. adjust the top rests and the, the, the middle breasts and the bottom rests. And yeah, I've sat in them. Well, the other thing too, that I think is interesting is the, uh, the leg extenders. You can extend them separately per leg. And I've sat in one, and I literally spent probably a good 10 minutes trying to adjust it to get as comfortable. It's still not as comfortable as what they used to do. <laughs> it's a traditional old Lincoln Town Car bench seat. Don't you think, though, after like 8, 10, 12 hours, you're going to be missing all that support? No. No? you just rather be kind of squished in there? I want to be wafting around on the road on a cloud. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm not on board with the bench seat and everything. I'm on board with comfortable buckets. I do think that there's a distinct lack. Like we talked about earlier, early... 2000s, late 90s General Motors products, especially their trucks, have the most comfortable bucket seats. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, they, and those are just a super comfortable, nice seat. And for whatever reason, when they went away from that GMT 800 series, the following uh, version of the Suburban and the Yukons and the Escalades, the seats are just like rock hard compared to the previous generation. I don't understand why they did that. I will say not every old seat is better. Like, I had the sure. original seats in my Volkswagen. They're not very good seats. Well, that's an economy car. You should see the design yeah. of these seats. It's a bucket, but it's literally a flat piece of vinyl that mates up with a second flat piece of vinyl in a different plane. And that is the entire seat. But you have a 70s Mercedes, and I'll bet the seat on that is super comfortable. They're also terrible. Really? Believe it or not. Yes. 80s, especially 80s, like 80s Mercedes, they used um, this material called MB Tex, which is indestructible. Sure. And the seats look very springy. But when you get on them, what you figure out is you have like a layer of horse hair, like that little fibery material, okay. and then springs. And there's just no support or comfort. Like they're not very soft and they're not supportive like a modern seat. Like you sit on a 80s Mercedes seat for like two, three hours and you're going to be fried. Even, like, I got some um, contact from, like, Moroccan taxi drivers that are still driving these 80s Mercedes today, and they all say the same thing. Like, yeah, the seats suck. They're just not very good seats. So I guess, like, 90s and early 2000s was kind of peak seat comfort. I do then. love, like, 60s and 70s American seats, though. Yeah. Like, with the, the pleated materials. Oh, Remember yeah. Remember those? Those Where are pretty looks great. looks like it's got a pillow built into the seat. I do like those a lot. Yeah, yes. those are cool, too. Remember that terrible car you almost bought? That um, New Yorker? yeah. Yeah, well, eighty-seven New Yorker. Yeah, that that one had super comfortable seats as well. Just just give us a nice big pillow on top of there, build it in. You know, I um I published a, a short on that New Yorker on YouTube, and um I made the the claim that eighties American cars were not very good. It was a low era. Sure. Which I still stand by. There okay. were some exceptions, like the Typhoon and the Grand National, right? Yeah. But if you consider the quality and the design of economy cars, luxury cars, performance cars for the 70s and the 80s in America, they're pretty poor, right? 
Dodge Omni, Chevrolet Citation, um, the Pintos, right? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just not very good. And even, especially as we go in the 80s, the luxury cars like the Continental Mark V, huge. Mark VI, they made it tiny to accommodate fuel crisis, not good. The Cadillacs from the 80s, some of them good, but then you had the Citation, right? So it was a low point. You should have seen people's comments when I said that on YouTube. Really? People said I should be unborn. Oh, geez. Yes, they were not happy about my comments on 80s cars. But uh, that that comment actually reminds me of something one of my favorite comedians said. Is So he, he said that I filmed my, my wife giving birth, and it's not for something to watch back on for our records. It's so that I can show my child that video in reverse and say, <laughs> if you keep mouthing off to your mom, I'm going to put you right back where you came from. That's really funny. <laughs> That's really, really funny. Quality, too, wasn't yeah. very high. That's a, I like that. Um, anyways, that was pleaded, pleaded uh, material. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Number nine on this list. This, for the record, is Brendan's list, and I don't agree with a lot of these. Okay. White wall tires. Yes. What, white wall tires look fantastic on most vehicles. Do they? Yes. What's the last – let me show you white wall tires on an Ameri on a newer vehicle. Let's see if you, you still hold that thought, okay? Why, okay. Well, pitch me on the white walls. Well, it's just – it's a classy design. So if you have like that little chromed hubcap there in the center, like I'm picturing um, like an old hot rod or an old Beetle, and then you have those those nice white wall tires. Or another thing too is like white lettering on tires as well. You just don't see that much anymore, and I think it really adds to the character of the vehicle. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I like white walls because think about it. You drive through road grime and through grossness and through, and then your white walls are not going to look white. They're going to look like gray walls or brown well, walls. Yeah. Look. Well, that's I, why they sell white wall tire cleaner. But So you can help keep those white walls clean. It's almost like you're bleaching your tires. I would pitch to you that the white wall tire was a good design when manufacturers had small wheels and big tires. Yes. Because it kind of gave a visual aid to, to – um, give the impression of a larger wheel, right? But if you ever see a modern-day era car on white walls, for those of you watching on YouTube, this is a Cadillac DTS on white walls. That looks horrible. Well, yeah, there's not enough white wall. That's well, the that's problem. Well, that's the issue, right? Yeah. Manufacturers have these tiny tires, and then you put a white wall on there, and it just doesn't look good. Well, and then I find the question to you, do we really need such big wheels? Now, that is a good point. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. Why not just shrink the size of the wheels... And give the option of adding some white walls and a nice little chromed tiny hubcap, and I think it would look good. I agree. I mean, I think that the wheels are far too big, yeah. and manufacturers spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year trying to design new suspension systems and manufacturing suspension systems to accommodate for these enormous wheels and small sidewalls, right? Right. Your first line of any um, defense from bumps and potholes is not the suspension, it's the tire. Exactly. And if the wheel's huge and the tire's small, don't like it. Yeah, and, and an example is my 8.1 Yukon that I bought had really old tires on it when I first got it. And when I put newer tires on there, it felt as if I had just redone the suspension because when you have an old tire or a thin tire, 
it's just way stiffer and it mm -hmm. doesn't give you that that compliance that you would want from the road. So by adding extra wheel to your car, you're taking away from the softness of the ride. It's so funny though, talking to these engineers because they'll talk about how they spent like, um, you know, hundreds of hours perfecting like progressive springs and uh, uh, advanced damping solutions and air suspension. And they're very proud of that. And you're like, yeah, but maybe don't put the 23 inch wheel on it, <laughs> put like an 18 inch wheel on it. And yeah. then you wouldn't have to spend the hundreds of hours to perfect the suspension. Let the tire do the work. I think even 18 inches is a little on the big side. We're, what's wrong with a 14 inch wheel or a 15 inch wheel? You heard it here first. Brendan thinks smaller is always better. I think so too. Say a 14 inch wheel? 14 inch wheel. That's what it's was little, on my Volvo. It's a little too small. And those, and those those looked okay. I got 14s on the Merc in there, just a little too small. Yeah? I think 15 to 18 is the sweet spot. Okay. What, 14? Yeah. It's like a little coffee coaster. Yeah, you don't need much of a wheel. The you want more tire than you want wheel. <laughs> and, get, and zazz up that tire a little bit with some white walls. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the reason that manufacturers put these big wheels on is because they look better, right? Sure. The closer you can get a design to a Hot Wheels the more visually appealing, right? And Hot Wheels are all wheel and no tire. Um, but uh, 14 is pushing the envelope of what I think would look good. I, I would just love to see a manufacturer at least give us the option. Of a of 14? Some, I'm so, at least just a small wheel. <laughs> give us the option. Like, think about when you guys bought your Land Rover Defender. What did you put on there? You got the smallest wheels that they offer. But that was because the of... The Steelys. Yes, that's more an off-road thing. Sure. Right? Because you can put a, a thicker sidewall for off-roading. But like... But it should be a luxury car thing, too, because it adds to the softness of the ride. Um, I, I agree. I, yes, I agree completely. My challenge, though, is if you do see, like, a base model, like, F-Pace or, like, CT5, right, with, like, the 17 or 18-inch wheels or whatever they are, you're kind of like, ooh... <laughs> they doesn't look out. great. Yeah. That so yeah. we need to normalize small wheels with a society. There we go. Maybe what we do is we penalize people. You make the 23-inch wheel the base model, and then <laughs> you got to up pay for the 17 or the 18. There you go. And then you got to pay a lot if you want a 14. That, that sounds that's good. That's the prize. Yeah. 14. Yeah. And then 14s come with a fancy white wall tire. Fancy white wall tire. Or white tire with white lettering. Now I'd like to take a pause here and give a huge shout out to Brendan, who's been killing it because we have had some pretty big success at our new little auction site called TFL Bid. So he's been putting in the long hours and working really hard on this, but we've had some really great submissions. We got some cool vehicles coming up. And if you want to submit a vehicle, tflbids.com, uh, you work with Brendan and Alex directly, by the way. Yeah. And yeah. And shout out to Alex as well. He's been putting in a lot of work. We're refining it and really honing into what's going to set us apart from the rest. And really right now what is setting us apart from the rest is we will get your car listed and sold faster than any other automotive auction site. In fact, we just had somebody submit a car to us today where we said, if you get us the photos today, it will go live today if you want. Right. So right. It, it, you literally could have a 24-hour turnaround if you get us everything we need. And we'll promote them on the podcast and the videos, and it's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, so I'm really impressed with the work they've been doing. Um, we've got some really cool stuff up there. Uh, and right now, I don't know if this podcast is going to air before it closes, but like my mini's up there. Yep. Got a really cool Land Rover Discovery that someone submitted. The important thing is we just need a lot of good pictures. Just start snapping away and then um, uh, tell us what's wrong with the car. Tell us what's right about the car. We'll write up a description and we'll make that puppy live and promote it so we can get the most money for your car as possible. Yeah. And we require a minimum of 30 photos, but again, more is always better. So if you have more photos, 
send them on in because think about it this way people are buying a car without necessarily seeing it in person so you want as much information for these buyers as possible and we've even started offering it with videos too so if you want to do a video of it cold starting or a video of you walking around the vehicle that also helps. Yeah, anything you can kind of help inform folks about what's right and wrong with the vehicle is always a good idea. So tmlbids.com, um, shoot us a submission and you'll work directly with Brendan and Alex. And it's free to submit a vehicle, right? Absolutely, it's free to submit, free to sell. Yeah, that's right. All right, so um, let's talk about some of the comments we've had. A lot of, okay. lot of iconic comments on YouTube and you've picked a few of them from the previous podcasts. And what are we talking about today? So I picked some of the top ones, which is the ones that are the most liked. And then I grabbed a few extra that are just some that I thought were interesting. Um, and so the top one was from Rob Irvin, who tends to comment on a lot of things that we do. Thank you, Rob. He said, Tommy and Brendan's friendship is reliable, awesome job on this, guys. But next, we need a podcast about every single Toyota that's reliable. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> We're just going to list every Toyota ever made, except for anything with a CVT, maybe. Are there any unreliable Toyotas? That's a good question. Oh, you know what's interesting? I've got a friend, actually. Yeah? I do have some insight on this. He is uh, one of the leading Toyota mechanics in our area. And he is incredible. Like, he works uh, so well, and he's so well-trained, and he's, he's done this for years and years and years. And I asked him, like, what are some of the more unreliable Toyotas? And he said the couple generations ago RAV4 that came out, like, in the mid-2000s, the early ones have a lot of issues. And don't they, didn't they have a CVT No, well? they have or a, is that they a different have a, generation? They have a standard um, automatic. Um, but my grandpa had one. He bought it brand new. Let me see what year this puppy came out. And he had, he went through like three alternators and a water pump and like in 50,000 miles. It was crazy. Wow. That is surprising. Yeah. It was the um, third generation, Cole's generation. Yeah. But the early ones specifically, yeah, not a, not as strong as you might expect. And he said the best engine Toyota's ever made, the 4.7 V8. Well, what's funny is, you know, um, I was at the auction yesterday, and there was a Toyota Camry there. I'm trying to remember the, the generator. I think it was the, the early 2000s Camry or maybe like 2006, 2007 Camry. And you turn it on, and it had engine knock at about 180,000 miles. Like, it's, it was pretty pronounced, too. It's just knocking. And there was another dealer walking by as I turned the car on to see if it was running well. And he just looks at me and he goes, reliable Toyotas, right? I guess they're all reliable. And then walks away. <laughs> just thought that was interesting because that's it's kind of a little bit of a joke is that, you know, any car can have problems. But a lot of dealers kind of go, well, everybody wants a Toyota, even though they're not all bulletproof. Although I might wager this could be a success story. Yeah. That Toyota may have gone 180,000 miles without a single oil change. It's possible. You know? It's entirely possible. you just possible. don't know the ownership experience yeah. there. Yeah, so. and that's, you see that a lot at the auctions, too. You don't know, like, what the maintenance has been on those cars. So it could have been just poorly maintained. But, I mean, like, yeah. I think as a rule of thumb, most Toyota products will go longer with less maintenance than just about any car. So, for, sure. for example, you could get a Land Rover Discovery 2 to get 180,000 miles. But you're going to have to remortgage your house to do so, right, in a lot <laughs> yeah. of cases. Um, but speaking of the auction, you... Drove one of my least favorite cars in all of history. Oh, gosh. The Fiat 500L. Yeah. So this was a 2014 Fiat 500L with about 133,000 miles on it, just to preface. And this was in the donate section, which means that somebody donated it to their local charity, and then that charity brought it to the auction to get the money back out to go into the uh, charity. So 
I walk up to it and it says key in bag four. And what that usually means is the car is so nice that they don't want you to drive it. They want you to come and ask for the keys. Most of the cars at the auction, they leave the keys in them so you can just hop in and take it for a spin. This one, they wanted you to come into the office and ask for the keys so that you could be able to drive it. And I was like, you know what? I'm determined. I am going to go get the keys to this car and I'm going to go drive it. So I made the half a mile walk or whatever back it is to the building, got the keys, and then it was dead. And so I go to jump it and... The hood props, the the little compressors for the hood props, close on my fingers oh, no. as I'm trying as I'm trying to jump this car, and so this thing is fighting me. It is saying, "Do not drive this car." Right? <laughs> it's saying, "No, you have to go get the keys. You have to jump it, and then the car is going to bite you when you try and jump it." But anyways, I found a stick. I propped it open. I got the jumper on there. I got it started. And it ran like garbage. Well, why were the keys in the in the office? Well, <laughs> that's the that's the funny part. So uh, when I when I brought the keys back, so let, let me just say this first: the engine was so shot that the car literally like bucked around like a Bronco. Was it knocking or just like it was? It was knocking and shaking and rattling and convulsing. <laughs> like it was angry that you had just woken it up. But so I brought the keys back to the office and the guy behind the counter goes, so was it good? And I said, no, it was terrible. I can see why you held, you held the keys behind the counter here. No one should drive that thing because the engine is 10 seconds away from blowing. Wow. Yeah. You think that's why they put that? Because usually even on the cars that don't work very well, they have the keys inside of them. Usually, yeah. Yeah, but you just leave them in the ignition. For these, I guess they were just like, if anybody turns this thing on, the engine's like inches away from totaling and grenading. Well, now so. you know why it was a donate. Yes. Yeah. Those <laughs> cars are just the worst cars. It uh, it sold for $1,700. $1,700? Yes. a lot of money. Someone paid $1,700 for a Fiat 500L with a bad engine. Wow. I'm surprised by that. Yeah. I really don't like the Fiat 500L. I know. I really don't like it. I didn't get to drive it. I sat in it, though. You didn't move it? No. I I didn't want to be the one to blow the it engine It ran so it. badly, huh? Yeah. I... um. I love the standard 500, and I really like the uh, the Abarths, like the, the fast ones, but the L's are horrible. They're miserable. Well, I'm going to keep my eye out. I'll no, try and please find don't. one I can actually no, drive. No, why? Why do you want to drive this car? <laughs> Just because you say it's so bad. It's so bad. It is so bad. <laughs> it's like a crossover, but front-wheel drive and low to the ground. So yeah. it's more of like a tiny van, except it's supposed to look like a classic 500 but it doesn't because it looks like the pillberry dole boy had his way with it and it just like poofed <laughs> up in the oven it's just horrible it's just the worst car and yeah. it's badly made and they're they're badly assembled and i just don't like them okay so next up on the list of features we want to come back once again you got some zingers on here hood <laughs> ornaments well, you yeah. want hood ornaments to come back well, you heard uh, it here first. <laughs> Brendan loves appealing people and small front end collisions. I know why they got rid of hood ornaments. I mean, obviously for front pedestrian crash standards, you can't have them anymore. And aerodynamics. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, how cool is it when you could drive around and you have that prancing Jaguar? It is cool. Sitting on the front of the hood, or yeah. you have that Mercedes emblem that's sticking up on the front of your hood, or yeah. you know, it, it, any number of them that had that. It was always a cool thing to have a hood ornament. And you you just don't see that anymore. I think maybe Rolls Royce offers it. Yeah, but I, it's like a retractable one. Yeah, it, um, it'll retract in, in any kind of like if you try to either a take it or b if something runs into it, it'll go. It'll yeah. like roll back. So I just I think we should have hood ornaments back, especially car companies that are luxury brands that have a history of using hood ornaments like Jaguar and Mercedes. 
I just think it's such a cool look, and I, I wish they were still on there. There is something really special about looking over the hood and seeing that, um, that hood ornament in the front of a Mercedes. It's one of my favorite experiences in an old Mercedes. Now, you used to be able to get a hood ornament up until super recently on an E-Class, and someone can let me know in the comments if you still can. Um, but, of course, you're, like, all bendy, right? Like, they were designed. They've been bendy for ever. Right. Like my 72 Mercedes will bend, actually. Sure. So, uh, yeah, they, they've been thinking about this for a long, long time. But I agree. I mean, they're a really special, kind of makes you feel proud to be, like, behind the wheel of that vehicle. Absolutely. It just adds to the prominence while you're driving it. that You get to stare down the end of it at that hood. And the other thing is, too, you know, for vehicles that before they had all those parking sensors and stuff on there, it helped you know where the end of your hood was so you wouldn't Very run good into point. things. Very good point, yeah. Very yeah. good point. Um, next up is even, even uh, this is a bold one, wood paneling. You want wood paneling to come back? Absolutely. Why? Yeah, especially if you can get some real wood paneling on there. You want you want to be like, I, I like this car, but I wish it would have a termite problem. <laughs> you know, that's what you, that's what you look well, for. Well, you, you just put the wood paneling on top of the metal. You don't make it, like, I'm not saying we should come back with the woody <laughs> where it has all wood side panels i'm talking about just some extra like think about i'm thinking about the um the new grand wagoneer how much better would that thing look with some wood paneling on the side it would look different <laughs> i mean like i think it, in that case it would look better because like harkens back to an era right it harkens yes. like it's a throwback retro thing i understand it then but if hyundai was like the new kona has wood paneling on the side of it i'd be like why what's you never, well, what are you Try gonna it do? out. It might look good. What are you going to do with that, though? I mean, it's just more weight you're just slapping on for no reason. Well, I mean, the majority of wood paneling, you know, you use wood in quotation marks, Yeah, but you right? want genuine maple on the side. You're like, I, well, like sure, a, yeah. I like walnut down the side of there. Yeah. Um, I Especially just, on, like, a, a luxurious vehicle. What's more <laughs> luxurious than wood? They put wood on the inside. Put it on the outside, too. How about this? You know, via that thinking, it would be a good idea. What's that? Putting leather on the roof. Oh, gosh. No. Well, that's that's one of the ideas, features exactly. that I don't want. Exactly. Vinyl would, roofs or Landau tops. Why is wood paneling okay, but leather on the roof or vinyl on the roof is not okay? Because whenever I look at vinyl on a roof, it always looks like a toupee. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I picture. Especially the ones where it's just like on the back through, like back third of the car right. and the front is missing, it looks like a balding dude. I never understood why people wanted that. Like, I don't know. Why was, who, are you trying to make your car look like a convertible? Someone's like, you know, I want to make this four-door sedan Maybe. look like. Maybe that was the original intent. It's horrible. I, the one positive I will say is it does help protect against hail damage out here in Colorado. Yeah, but then the water just seeps into it and rusts the car from the inside out. Yeah, that's true. I would pitch to you that wood paneling is almost as bad as... As the no vinyl roof. Way. The wood paneling's wood horrible. Wood paneling's so much cooler. Maybe if you could pitch it in a way. Have you ever heard of the, the citron cactus? Yeah. The car with like the squishy things on the side that you there can you run go. into. Maybe that's a reason to bring back wood paneling. So you could like run into it and then back up. Bingo. See, you, you're helping make my argument for me. Thank well, you. Here's a good question. What is the last car sold with wood paneling? I would say maybe like the Buick um, Roadmasters. Okay. Those had, well, I mean, it wasn't wood, but it was vinyl-ish, or vinyl-looking wood I, yeah. on the side of it. I think, because that was in, what, the mid-90s you know, that they were doing that till? I think, couldn't you get the PT Cruiser with wood paneling? 
I don't know. I oh, think you know, you could. I think you could get the Cherokee with wood paneling. You could. You? you could, yeah. In yeah. The, in the um, the first gen Cherokees. Oh, maybe the PT Cruiser was a uh, an accessory thing. Now this is interesting. The you remember the Ford Flex? Yes. The Ford Flex did something where they kind of tried to bring the wood back a little bit with like yeah. these striped appliques on the back of the car. That's a car that would look good with wood paneling. I don't think the it would. Flex. I yeah. really don't think it would. Why would adding wood to it make it look better? Oh, it would make it look so much better because you just have this slab side, these big slab sides, that, and it really kind of helps break up the monotony so by adding a little bit of flair to your what vehicle. What you're saying is wood paneling it for companies that don't know how to design a car. Yeah, like the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Wow. Getting bold. Now let's talk about some other features we never want to come back that you put on here. Okay. Automatic seat belts. Oh, yes. Those are like... My least favorite feature that was ever on a, on a vehicle. Now, if you're not familiar with these, this is back in, what, the 80s and early 90s, where the seatbelt was, every time you open the door, the seatbelt would move on this track around the door frame, and then when you close the door, it would move back kind of like like coming right up to you and almost kind of like choking you out a little bit. And then it, you would have to actually click your lap belt as well. So if you just left on that seatbelt and you got into an accident, you just slide right out from underneath it. So it was like, it was pointless. It wasn't very safe. It added a lot of complexity and it was annoying and temperamental. I think the idea behind it is you leave it all like clipped together. So when yeah. you open the door, it would slide out of the way and then you could get out and then you'd never forget to put your seatbelt on because when you get in, it would go and then your seatbelt would be on. But in practicality, not so hot. No. And that's why it was pretty short-lived. Have you ever owned a car with electric seatbelts like that? You know, I don't think I have, I have actually. not either. Yeah, I think I've ridden in a few friends that had them. And that's I was an like, interesting what is goal. This? this? That's is a, weird. Yeah, but, that is an interesting one. Yeah, I don't – yeah, I agree with you. That shouldn't come back. A hand crank motors? How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 maybe I'm grasping at straws here a little bit, but I'm thinking about, you know, if we're going to talk about – Old features like white wall tires, we should also talk about the fact that you don't have to hand crank your motor anymore. But what about this? Like a lot of old French cars and American cars gave you the option to. So like the 2CV, it's got a little hole in the front. You can barely see it, right? Or sometimes they were behind a license plate. And then in the emergency that your battery ran out, you could stick your uh, your crank in there and go whoop. However, I, I'm not sure it's very practical with a modern day car. Yeah. I just think... Imagine well, hand not cranking. Only that, imagine hand cranking like a 5.9-liter V8. <laughs> yeah, you think be you like, really have enough muscle strength to do that? My 2-liter direct-injected turbo that yeah. runs on 19 ECUs. I don't think you're going to be hand cranking that puppy. No. Well, and not only that, but I think that just also says... What, what you're saying is they gave you the option of the hand crank. That just to me says like... They don't have confidence that their starter is going to last for Gosh, you. So. Brendan, that is such an old thing to put on here. <laughs> Brendan's like, I think we, would, we don't want to come back. Wooden wheels. I am just <laughs> sick of lubricating my wheels. <laughs> Brent, other thing, Brendan's like, hand clutches. You know, that's funny. Next up on the list, so you have car phones. Of the things we don't want to come back. Yes, yes. you don't want car phones to come back. No, we don't need them. They're pointless. And they were always one of those things where if you put the uh, if you put the phone the phone in the car, technology moves along so fast that once the car is like two years old, it's already outdated. Uh, yeah, I agree. That was a pretty bad idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about this one? I, I just thought of one. What okay. do, What are your thoughts on this one? Hideaway headlights. 
I like it. Do you? Yeah. I think I think it's I mean it does add a lot of complexity, but if you're getting like a high end vehicle that you want to add some extra pizzazz to, why not? Like just like flip up headlights, which is uh, also on our list. What of about things we want? Yeah, that you put that. Up. We'll talk about that in a sec. But um, okay, we'll we'll go get there. Uh, carburetors you have on the things you don't want back. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I, I I know there are some people out there that prefer a vehicle with carburetors, but fuel injection. Let's be honest especially up here in Colorado with altitude, it's just so much easier. With carburetors, like if, if you leave the car sit for too long, then the jets get all gummed up and you have to clean them and possibly even replace parts on it. And it's, they're just, they're way more finicky and you have to like put, pull the choke on when you're starting the car. It's just, it's kind of a pain in the butt. I agree completely. Yeah, carburetors, not great. Um, I would pitch to you my next one. Um, let me pull up this picture here because I own this car. This is a Lincoln Continental Mark V, if you're listening um, on the podcast platforms. Opera windows. Oh, you yeah. Know, you know, these little round windows? Yeah. I think those were terrible. Yeah? Because it doesn't match anything else on the car. Well, and they're kind of useless, too. I mean, like, it doesn't add a lot of blind spot visibility. No. I think it's supposed to look like a porthole on a ship. It's supposed to, like, bring, like, a, a nautical motif. Sure. Don't like that. Yeah, I could see why you wouldn't like that. And while I'm on the roll, you know what else I don't like? What's that? I'm not a big fan of analog clocks. Really? They just take up a lot of space in the middle of the dash. Unless yeah. it's like a centerpiece. A really well done analog clock looks great. But like we had a, um, what was the thing, an Escalade with this crappy plastic. It was supposed to be a bulgary clock, but it just looked terrible. Right. A bad analog clock is worse than no clock at all. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I, I would reserve that for things like Rolls Royces and Bentleys and everything else. Just go to a digital clock. Another thing you have listed on here, manual windows. Yeah. Not a fan. Why? It's, it's less to break, though. I mean, think about it. Like, sometimes when we're filming, we'll pull up to each other and try and say something to each other, and we'll be on the passenger side. If I have if I have manual windows, I'm, like, reaching all the way over to get that window cranked down just so that I could talk to you. What about the folks that'll say it'll never fail? They you know? fail. I had manual windows on my Baja Bug, and it failed. Well, yeah, but your everything's failed on your Baja Bug. Well, how did those fail? They just, it, like... It, like, got stripped out somehow, so it would take, like, three cranks to move it, you know, oh, what it should be, only one crank. Your Dodge truck also failed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it just slipped out of the that's true. the guides, and so it just kept falling down. Now, everybody has that horror thought, though, where you're driving along, and then you avoid a baby that's stuck in the middle of the road, and you drive into a lake, and your car is sinking, and then the battery shorts out, and you have no electrics in your car. Manual windows... Get out of there, you know? I mean, Crank those windows down and make your escape. Here's the thing that I that I think you, I would do if I were to do that. As soon as you drive into the lake, immediately just open your door. Well, you, but you can't. Immediately. You have to, well, you'd have to do it real fast. Yes. Because as the water rises and you have that pressure difference, and then the door won't open. you got to wait for the car to sink entirely, and then you can open your door, which sounds terrible. Right. you got to be fast, Brendan. Yeah, you got to. Well, you just drove into a lake, so you better act quick. <laughs> <laughs> now, going back to things you do wish would come back, you have tail fins. Yes. I mean, think about the uh, the 50s Cadillacs, right? Yes. They had these beautiful designed tail fins and tail lights that are chrome accented. Why can't we do that anymore? I don't understand. It's such a unique, distinct feature that helps those Cadillacs stand out. And I think people seek them nowadays because they had that that cool tail fin. Well, what about all those little kids that rode their bikes right into them and now have head injuries? 
Are you going to tell yeah. little Timmy he can't eat ever because he just has a head injury because of a tail fin? If a kid's running into a car, <laughs> I, think, I think we have more to worry about than the tail fins on the car. Have you met the kids these days, Brendan? <laughs> no, I think tail fins were really cool, uh, right? It was a, a kind of a, a, an iconic feature of the jet age, right, where all the manufacturers were trying to make their vehicles look like yeah. airplanes. And I think they're fantastically cool. It'd be challenging to incorporate them in a modern-day car. What? Here's my question. Is there anything... Um, safety-wise, that's really holding us back from doing it. I bet there are. Yeah? I bet there are. Yeah, I bet if you look deep into the NHTSA guidelines or whatever, there's like, in the event of a rear-end um, um, collision, there's a 90% chance that that stylized taillight is going to break off and fly through the windshield. Oh, my gosh. But just, I don't know. I, I could be, uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's kind of a shame that they went away. And I like, like, there are all sorts of different sh- shapes and sizes, too. Like, there was the vertical ones. Right. And then Chevrolet had the horizontal ones. And then my favorite, I love one of these cars when they, it's one of my dream cars, the 1959 Buicks um, had these diagonal ones that just look, they, they're called delta wings. Oh, yeah. And they kind of come they're off They're kind of like angle. up at an angle. Oh, yeah. I think that is such a cool design. Isn't no, that I fantastic? Agree. That is so cool. I really wish we could do more interesting stuff like that today because cars today could really use a little extra... You know, just well, a little extra pizzazz, a little extra styling, and, and I think that could really be a way to help to make them more distinguishable. Probably the reason that they don't go back to it more than anything is fuel economy. I mean, yeah. so much of modern-day cars is, is dictated by drag coefficient, right? And maybe they're just not as efficient. Although planes have them, and planes do pretty well, but planes use them for control. I don't know. But, well, um, if you guys know the answer as to why we don't have tail fins, I bet it was safety, let us know in the comments. Safety and fuel economy would be my bet. Um, yeah. Maybe cost to manufacture. T-top shift, T-tops, or that's a good one. Yeah. So um, the one car that recently came out that I think is actually bucking the trend away from T-tops is the Hummer EV. Great one. Right? Although it's not really a T, it's because there's four of them, right? So it's, it's a little different like than... H-top. Than a, yeah, it's kind of an H-top. Yes. But um, I really do miss T-tops because they're kind of... They bridge that gap between a full-on convertible and a coupe. So you can have, like, uh, the look of a coupe, but be able to pop those T-tops off whenever you want to have a little more air in your hair. The challenge with them, though, is you have to have a place to put the panels. Yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah, there are a lot of cars, too, where you'd pop the tops off and there'd be nowhere to put them, and you're just like, well, I guess... I'll just leave them in the garage. <laughs> Hope it doesn't rain. <laughs> and then if you do have them and you stick them on before it rains, a lot of the times they would leak. Yeah. That's the other challenge. But that they is were the cool. downside. They are a cool design. And I think that it's nice having kind of that that feeling of safety with having that roll bar there in the middle, but still having that open air experience. They look great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about T-tops. I think we should do it more. Gated shifters. Yeah, so if you think back to like a 60s Ferrari or even I think one of the last cars that I know of that had a gated shifter is like the Audi R8. Oh, yeah. Where you're shifting that manual transmission. You have that satisfying little like clink every time you get it into gear. Um, it's it's just so cool. I drove a, uh, I think it was a Ferrari 355 once that had that gated shifter. And that's just, it's so satisfying. yeah. It is a cool thing. I agree. I mean, it's, well, first of all, having a shifter in general well, is yeah. a cool thing. The one thing I will say is, like, it's they're they're pretty hard to drive fast. That's true. You know, you have to be kind of patient with them because you don't have any leeway. Like, there's a metal 
stick in the way if you don't get your shifter in the right position. But they make a great noise. That R8 shifter, you're right, it was incredible. It was a truly amazing piece of work, and I'm so glad that they went with it. But they're very expensive to manufacture as well. Yeah. It's a very costly proposition. Now, I have a little, I have a tangent here. So okay. something a little different from the list. Tommy recently went to Hawaii. Yes. And I have a question. So I know everything is more expensive in Hawaii because it has to be shipped there. Sure. Do they have all the vehicles that we have here in the 48 states mm. also in Hawaii. Like, do they do all these manufacturers like Mitsubishi, for example, that doesn't sell a lot of cars here, do they take the time to send their cars to Hawaii? Believe it or not, I think the answer is yes. Wow. Yeah, I saw just about everything. And I saw dealers for Toyota, Kia, Honda, Hyundai, um, Chevrolet, like Nissan, um, BMW, Mercedes. Yeah, I mean, basically everything is out there. Really? Yeah, I think service, servicing might be a challenge, right? And sure. you do pay a lot for things. But yeah, I mean, the, the number one vehicle I saw everywhere was Tacomas. Japanese yeah. vehicles, certainly. And they I wonder, don't. like... Well, I guess they are closer to Japan. Yeah, if you, like... if Well, Tacomas are manufactured in stateside, but if there's a vehicle that is manufactured in Japan, do they make, like, a... Well, whoop, do they send do they it just on a go sh- straight to Hawaii? A separate ship? Or like, how does that work? How do they get in there? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I don't know. I looked into shipping a car to Hawaii, and it was ungodly expensive. Really? It was like several thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but that was well, that it was probably takes like, what, a month or two to it, get there? It would take some time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other, the other thing that I've been curious, or that I thought was interesting, too, is um, there was a commercial that came out, I think it was like maybe 15 years ago, where they asked the question, said, why do they call the highways in Hawaii the interstate? That's <laughs> funny. That's good. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, and, and they do. They call it the interstate in Hawaii, right? Well. Do, or do they not? I, Am I wrong? I don't, I've know, never I don't know. I don't know if they have interstates. Uh, the big island I was on, I don't think has interstates. It was okay. just like kind of these little roads. I don't know. Someone in Hawaii will let us know. Okay. That's a good question. Yeah. So I'm going to di- deviate from the list here. All right. And pitch you on some things I wish would come back. Okay. Ready? Volume and tune knobs. Well, we still have them. They're just all on a screen now. No, absolutely right? not. Yeah, I have no interest in that. Yeah, no, just a physical. Because yeah, I don't oh, I see what you're saying. So yes, an actual a physical, physical volume knob. knob. Yes. Yeah. Well, isn't that making a comeback? So I know Honda, right? Just put volume knobs in their new Accord, didn't they? I think they did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I know a lot of people were complaining with the newer Volkswagens. Well, Honda had a whole thing. Had it too. Honda went away from all together. People got so right. mad that they brought them back. Uh, Volkswagens, I don't know. Volkswagen needs to. Well, they had those capacitive touch things on they their still steering wheels. They still do. Yeah, they're not good. And and on like. the screens, if I recall, for like tuning and stuff. Yeah, it does not work. No, I agree, though, that a volume knob. I don't know about a tune knob. I'm not listening to the radio as much tune as Tune knobs, Brendan. That's the dream. But tune knobs. Uh, maybe a skip button. Yeah, skip button so is okay. Fast forward and just make that part of the tuning. Uh, volume and tune knobs—that's just it's such a game changer. No, I agree. Especially volume knobs for sure. Um, okay, next thing. Yeah. I just had it in my head. Oh, um, physical controls for the climate control. Yeah. You know. Well, I think again, it's it's making a comeback. So if you look at the cars from like, what was it like, 2013 to 2020. Everything is went capacitive touch for some reason, or right. it went onto a screen. I think a lot and of everybody that, was so frustrated. A lot of that is cost because it's cheaper yeah. just to build a piece of software than to actually make a button. Um, okay, next thing. What about this one? A moonroof. 
So you know how like there's the glass roofs, right? And yeah. then there's the glass roofs that open. But what about the older cars that had like that steel panel that would slide oh, back? Oh, that actually that actually blocks a hundred percent of the sun. Yes. Yeah, you know I haven't seen those very often. Now they are all just glass. Yeah, aren't they're they? all glass. Yeah, is or, it just because they're cheaper to make that way? I don't know. They just I never really I don't know why they went away from the like the metal ones. Well, the other thing that I like too is how some cars have um like just a little slider thing that operates separately from the sunroof. Yes. So you can just have a little bit of sunlight or some of them like the minis have the like mesh, mesh type one. Yes. But I think those the mesh ones are really nice because you can let a little bit of that sunlight in, but not all of it. Okay, something I wish would never come back: incandescent headlights. Well, yeah. Why would you? you LEDs know. are just they're cheaper and they're more efficient nowadays. Some people say they like ice over quicker, right? So like because yeah. they don't get as hot. But um, for most scenarios, like uh, the old school halogen bulbs, whew. They're not very good, especially yeah. compared to the new stuff. Well, and it's just a pain too, because your bulb goes out and then you have to replace it, and and a lot of the, in that transitionary period is the interesting part too. Like when they we had like these HIDs, the xenons, and the, xenons the xenons, and things like that. And I had to replace a bulb in my Passat W8 before I sold it, and the bulb itself was a hundred dollars. I know, just to replace the bulb in that thing. I know that's pretty for. I mean, some units too. Like you can't just replace the bulb; you have to replace the whole headlight. Yeah. You know, and that's even worse. Now, you have an interesting one on here. Oscillating air vents. Yeah, they didn't put this in very many cars. My Lexus LS430 had it. And then a lot of the commenters of that video when it came out a few months ago made sure to point out that the first car that they saw it in was the Mazda 626. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. The cheap little economy sedan had a little button on there that showed you oscillating air vents. Wow, I'll be darned. Yeah. I swear I just saw a piece of news that a car is coming back with these. Really? Yes. I don't remember what it was, but I remember like some new car. Oh, Volkswagen. I think the air vents in the new ID7 will actually move around. Well, that's great. There you go. I think that's a good idea. I mean, so the thing that really stood out to me, and actually it's one of the reasons why I loved my LS430 so much, is so if you have the air conditioning or the heat blowing and it's just blowing on you and you can have it so that, like, your shoulder is cold but the rest of you is hot because it's all blowing in that same spot. But the oscillating air vents really helped distribute that heat or air around the cabin and just made the vehicle much more comfortable to live with. And that's the thing is, is it's, it was a very tech forward idea when Lexus and Mazda put it in their cars. And for whatever reason, it just never caught on. Uh, yeah, maybe felt people felt like it wasn't needed. Now, like the new like Teslas, right? They'll have air vents that you can move around, but you can't move them around with a little knob. You have to go in the screen and like drag a slider around. That's annoying. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, Manual parking brakes. Good one, Brendan. Yes, absolutely. So I get so annoyed by these electronic parking brakes because you push the button and then you don't know whether it's actually engaged or not. Whereas a manual parking brake, whether it be on the floor mm -hmm. or whether it be on a, a lever that you pull up right next to you, it's more satisfying, I think, more reliable, and then you can do some fun stuff with it too. I like all of those things. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I agree completely. Pop-up headlights? Yes. Pop-up headlights, mm. I, I understand that it would be very difficult to do with today's crash test, uh, crash standards. Right. But if there was a manufacturer out there that found a way to do either pop-up headlights or, like we mentioned earlier, hideaway headlights, 
I just think it'd be really cool to have something like that back. It was such a unique thing to have and so satisfying to see those headlights pop up. Well, a lot of the reason that they had them in the States, right? Like the, um, whatever that thing, the Toyota was the 86 in Japan and the true, it had a name here in the States. So the, was it a Corolla? Yeah. Uh, whatever it was in the U S had pop-up headlights because we had antiquated headlight laws. It said like your headlight has to be a certain height off the ground. So oh, that's a lot of the reason that cars have pop-up headlights, but they're also an aerodynamic nightmare. Like, um, yeah. You ever heard of like the um, uh, like the the Porsche 911, like the slant nose? Yep. They did those because at high speeds, the, the headlights on the 911 were really, really unaerodynamic. And that would happen on the Autobahn too, with like 944s and other cars that pop up headlights as you'd be driving along and then you'd pop them up at night and then all of a sudden your aerodynamics are all screwed up. Um, uh, but I'd also pitch to you what happens when the pop up fails. Yeah, they are a bit more problematic. Then you need like the manual override to go in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, it's not something that's necessarily more practical. It is fun. It's just it's just more fun, and it gives a little bit a little bit more character to your car. And um, what's wrong with adding a little bit of character to it? Um, and lastly, under license plate gas cap and other hidden gas caps. Yeah. So I know there were there was one car I was looking at. I can't remember the name of it, but it was like a '60s American car where it was literally behind the taillight. Yes, so that's you right. moved the taillight and then you stuck your gas thing in there. And I think it was just a really cool thing when they were really considering design and how make how to make the car more beautiful. A way to hide that gas door yes. is by putting it underneath the license plate or by putting it in other areas. And if you put it in the middle of the car in the back, you can fill it up from either side. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The challenge there is rear end safety. Like if you get rear ended. You know, yeah. it's not a great place to kind of... Well, you just move the tank a little further in. Yeah, but you got the hose, right, with it's got the gas in it. I saw... I uh, so. so. the Wrangler YJs, built from 87 through 95. Um, one of the last cars, I think, that had it in the back there was behind the license plate in the rear. And I was following one the other day, and it's clear he forgot to put his license or his um, gas cap on. Oh. Because he made a turn, and all of a sudden, like, all this liquid started pouring out of the license plate. You're like, oh, what geez. is that? And it's gas. It was gas. That oh is, I do like those. Those are fun. Those yeah. are fun and clever. Again, I think the general gist of this is just adding a little more flair and a little more character to our cars. Because we used to do that with all of these, whether it be wood paneling or T-tops or interesting not, gas caps. Not and wood paneling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we just we just don't do that anymore, and I I wish I wish we would find ways to add more flair to our modern vehicles. I would pitch to you that I also miss chunky bumpers. I know really? they're ugly, but they are very useful. Like the five ten mile an hour bumpers, you could run those things in the suckers, and they just bounce right back. My friend Ted was telling me a story. This guy had a uh, uh, like a seventy seven MGB that had those like really ugly plastic black bumpers. Do you remember those? Yeah. And he was driving it to a shop to spend like two or three grand to get it converted to like the slim um, metal bumpers, right? He was sitting at a stoplight and he got rear-ended at like 15 miles an hour. And like, you know, he like recovers. He's all shaken up. He gets out the back of the car completely fine. Yeah. Because the bumper, this big giant pillow plastic bumper just absorbed all the impact and uh, the car was completely fine. Uh, and then he turned right. He canceled his appointment to get the, the thin... Metal bumpers on and drove it home. He's like, wow. These have proven themselves to be worthwhile. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you think about it too, like think about when um, somebody's like in a truck and they rear end somebody 
that has a regular passenger vehicle, and they say, yeah, my truck was literally unscathed because it has these metal bumpers. Yes, yeah, same thing. But the passenger vehicle has a painted bumper, and, well, now it needs $1,000 worth of repairs. And the other one I would pitch to you, the biggest thing I miss from old cars, tow points. Yeah. So, like, modern-day cars, they have these beautiful plastic bumpers and these fancy grills, right? But they don't have actual hooks. So a lot of the times they'll either include a little thing you have to pop this cover off and screw your little eyelet in. But then it's snowing and raining. Your bumper's all covered. It's all iced over. You can't get to the thing. You don't have a screwdriver. Some new cars don't even have toy points in the front of them, Yeah. right? But having just, like, a little hook underneath the front bumper, which a lot of old cars had, or even two, like your Volvo had it, my Bug has it, right? They're in all four corners so that you can just quickly pull that car out of, like, a ditch or out of a snowy situation really good idea yeah i don't understand why they don't do that like i had a my my dad's bmw i had to get towed once and i remember trying to pop that cover which probably had never been popped in its <laughs> 20 years of existence yeah i was so afraid i was going to scratch the paint well yeah you, when i was popping that cover it. yeah you know it would have been nicer to just be able to be like well you just hook it underneath the bumper here and it's fine yeah exactly and that's yeah. what old cars did and yeah. we need to bring those back that was a great I agree. idea so let's run through some po- comments really quick that we got um and a huge thank you to our patreon supporters we did get a couple of great um patrons this uh week which i'm really stoked about huge thank you to everyone that supports us over at patreon um tfl studios on patreon yeah thanks guys you guys are just the best now we got some great emails someone sent us an email here and here is what they said regards to our last podcast apparently they did do a GMT 400 um, the, uh, Suburban the that they sold in the States. You know, I, I tried to do the best research that I could, and apparently I missed that um, in our vehicles that you can now import. So I apologize. I guess the only thing more interesting or the only thing different about that Holden Suburban that we talked about in that podcast is the fact that it's right-hand drive. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a gentleman named Brendan. He said, P.S. Isuzu V-Across is another un- fun anomaly of that era. Oh, yeah. Those are cool. So a big thank you to Brendan for sending us an email. Um, if you want to uh, get your questions or comments answered, you can uh, message us on Patreon or send us an email, info at tflcar.com. Now, some other YouTube comments from the last episode. Yeah. So... Um, Kay Stu said, this is one of my favorite podcasts and topics. Keep it up, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Stu. Appreciate it. Uh, Steve Duncan said, one of the best comments about the Land Cruiser I heard from a Toyota engineer, it was simply, we know that people's lives depend on this vehicle. That was after I insulted it. Yeah. Yes. I know. I know. It's a great vehicle. They're just a little dull. Um, RNT450T1 says, number one rule of YouTube, don't read the comments. Sorry, we're reading them. We're reading them anyways. <laughs> I guess we're breaking the number one rule, huh? Bob Shrank says, hello, I really enjoyed the podcast. I would like to add the Mark IV VW Golf TDI, the ALH motor. They really just don't die. This was in regards to our most reliable classics. Great point, Bob. Those older Volkswagen TDIs are practically indestructible. Yeah, they just, um, as we learned from Dieselgate, they just destroy you. Yes, right? that's right. They, they don't destroy you. themselves. It's yourself. <laughs> Uh, Stefan Faldorf, European car from the 80s and early 90s that were reliable, had a star in our name Mercedes. Oh, look at that. This guy coming through with me. And another brand was Volvo. There you go. Very true. Yeah, he was saying BMW has never been known for its reliability. And I disagree. I think BMW made some really good cars back in the 80s and 90s. And although they were never Toyota, but they are still way better than... 2004, 2005 BMWs. That's very true. I agree. And 67C10 says, the last gen town cars will never be classics. Just old. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I completely disagree. I think it'll go down as one of the last super comfortable plushy sedans that was ever made, honestly, because they made them all the way through till 2010. And so you can still buy one that's relatively new, like 13 years old, and it you can get an old school feeling that you just can't get nowadays. Um, uh, yeah, I have no comment on that. I'll let you battle it out with the YouTube comments. Okay. Now, what do you think is the number one feature we should come back? There's one we are missing. Oh. And it's not so much a feature, it's more of a car we should come back. And it's not so much a car, it's more of a truck we wish would come back. The Nissan Hardbody? That's it, Brendan. Oh, gosh. We almost we almost went a whole podcast without talking about the Nissan Hardbody. I would never let that happen. As always, the number one feature, the number one vehicle, the best vehicle maybe in existence we wish would come back, the Nissan D21 Hardbody. Everyone needs to go buy a Nissan Hardbody. Immediately. Yes. Drop what you're doing. Go find one. Facebook, Craigslist, auctions, doesn't matter. You can just, just go buy one. Just go, yeah. Yeah. Even rent one. You need to well, experience a D21 Hardbody. If there's a place that'll, if there's someone here in Colorado that will rent me a Nissan Hardbody, hit me up. I will rent your Nissan Hardbody. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us know what you guys think of hashtag Hardbody Crew. And as always, this has been Tommy and Brendan. Thanks, we'll, guys. We'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.